Wonderful. Good morning. You guys look great. It's great to celebrate God's goodness together. Just really enjoyed that uh, worship time. Mm. Very good, very good, very good. Um, this uh, series that we're going to be doing here in a couple of weeks, Kindred, it, it's uh, not at all, I want to be clear about this, it, this is not at all about like Woodland Hills going to change in any way. We're, we are who we are and it's going to stay the, the way we are. Uh, but what we're looking for, what we've been really examining the last year or two, is our tribe. Uh, what is the strand of the Christian tradition that we most align with? And um, you know, what's the family that shares our fundamental convictions? And uh, it turns out, and we didn't intend this, but we've just sort of evolved in this way, and we're seeing that the Anabaptist strand of the church tradition is really the one that best expresses the things that we're passionate about. And so this series will be talking about the distinctive things about the Anabaptists. And you don't have to know what that is right now. We'll, we'll make it clear as we go through it. Uh, and you'll find that the, the distinctive things about the Anabaptist strand of the church tradition are identical to the distinctive things about Woodland Hills Church. And, uh, and we'll just have a chance to flush that out. So I encourage you to participate in that. And to be part of these table groups, this is a great way to get to meet people, get to know people. Uh, develop relationships, which are always so important, all right? Uh, before I get in the message, one other thing I want to say, and it has to do with what Mary said on the, the video here. Um, back in uh, 2011, around the Christmas time, we had that Making Space campaign um, where we were shooting for $25,000 to equip our building to be able to serve uh, the poor and the homeless, and uh, we ended up raising $109,000. It was wonderful. You guys responded so great. Now, it's been... Uh, for the last year, uh, we've been jumping through a lot of hoops and taking care of a lot of stuff in order to do that. Uh, it was uh, more difficult than we sort of anticipated. But now, finally, things are starting to come together, and it's just so exciting. This last Monday, uh, the Maplewood City Council uh, voted unanimously uh, to approve our request to host a public food shelter here at the church. All right, amen. Hey, it's fantastic. So we'll be partnering with Merrick Community Services, and uh, we'll be having uh, this, this wonderful, uh, very significant, sizable uh, food shelf here uh, to serve the neighborhood. Uh, during that um, uh, session this last Monday, uh, we had just some of the folks at the city council said some wonderful things about us. Uh, we wanted to share a snippet of one of them, so check this out. Much to our good luck, I guess I would say, that we have you involved and that Woodland Hills Church has the outreach they do. They have done wonderful things for the community at large. And, you know, when, having sat here since, I think, Methuselah, um, there were quite a number of people that thought they were going to get their undies in a bundle about that church until people realized what it has done for the community. And if they haven't realized it, they need to open their eyes and their ears and find out. Um, it's, to me, it's incredible if you ever go over there just to see their setup and the programs they offer, and particularly for, for kids, for young people. Thank you for partnering and blessings on the church and all that <laughs> stuff. But I, it's, I just think it's been a wonderful addition to that side of St. Paul and the community at large. I, people don't realize, but it is a wonderful thing. So this is a good, I think this is a great partnering. Isn't that great? We have the official blessing. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, and the mayor said some wonderful things uh, about uh, the church. It seems like God is uh, giving us favor uh, with the city council and other people uh, in high places. And they want to partner with us to do some of the things that uh, we want to do. And, and as I've shared before, the vision that we have for being a community of people who really manifest the outrageous, beautiful, self-sacrificial love of God revealed on the cross. We manifest it to all people at all times, but we especially want to serve those who are in need, who are marginalized or oppressed, the outsiders of the system, the poor and the homeless. And uh, we've got a grand vision for that. It's, it's magnificent. And so to know that they're, uh, they're with us on this is, is very important. So we right now have a, a, a job skills training uh, a program that we have here at the church. Uh, we will, in April, start a daycare center here at the church uh, that will be focused on families who have children with disabilities and low-income families. So that will be a beautiful thing. Um, and then in March, as Mary said, we'll be starting Project Home, which is really just about turning the church into a homeless shelter 
uh, for a month. And we'll be doing that every couple months. And um, for all these things, here's the thing. For all these things, we need people. This is the time where we got to step up and say, I'm, I'm in. And uh, it's as we come together and sacrifice our time and resources that, that it's as we bleed together, right? The kingdom starts where we begin to bleed, which is about sacrifice. That's when we manifest that love. So I encourage you to be part of this. Make your life count. I mean, I, I want to have a life that, that matters. Don't you? Know, don't you? Uh, that where you invest in the lives of others and uh, you're, you're, you're doing things that will pay, have eternal ramifications. So praise God. Good things are happening. Be a part of it. Jump in. Last thing is I want to say thank you to Nick for that outstanding message he brought last week. Wasn't that fantastic? Yes. So there's a, we are just blessed to have uh, all sorts of kingdom young people uh, who are looking to Woodland Hills Church to provide some leadership. And uh, Nick is one of them. Uh, we've got some folks here and all around uh, the world, there are, are people in this position. And so it's, inter- it's really interesting to see how this is all going to pan out. But we want to keep our eyes open and, and use resources like Nick. So praise God. Thank you, Nick. Um, and one of the things he did was, uh, and most uh, guest speakers do, is they always say, you know, open your Bibles to, and you open your Bible. And we stopped doing that about five years ago um, because I felt it was redundant since we have the stuff on the screen. Uh, why open the Bible? It seems like just kind of a pro forma activity. But I've had several people say they like that, where it's, we together are opening the Bible, and, and, uh, and even though it's on the screen, you have your Bible. So if you want to bring your Bibles to church, feel free uh, to do that. I'm not promising I'll always do it. It's right there, but... Uh, you know, it's just an idea. There you go. Um, so here's the thing. The last couple of weeks have been rather rough weeks for the Boyd family. It hasn't been too easy. About two weeks ago, my, my son uh, had his apartment broken into. And they stole all of his, his computers, his Xbox, his uh, whatever, PlayStation, uh, all of his stuff. And see, my son is... I've shared this before. He has high-functioning autism and learning disability and anxiety disorder. And um, uh, it was a tremendous act of courage for him to step out and get his own apartment a couple of years ago. We, we didn't think that would ever happen. Uh, so this has caused quite a setback, as you can imagine. And it may seem you know, kind of trivial that they stole his PlayStation and computer and stuff. But see, that's his world. Um, and yeah, so it was a big hit. I'm so proud of the way he's handled it. I mean, I, I, he's, he's, he's been, uh, I, I've just been amazed. Um, he's still in that apartment. I thought he'd, he'd well, he did want to come back home, but, but uh, he's willing to stay out there. And, and so I've been impressed with that, but it's, it's been a big hit. And then about a week after that, Shelly and I come home this last Monday from church, uh, come to our house, and someone broke into our house. Uh, broke the window, got in there, and took all my, all, all, my computers and uh, iPad and all sorts of other stuff, whatever they could get their hands on. And um, I don't know if you've ever had your house broken into, but uh, it's a weird thing. It, 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 you feel violated. More, it's more, more than just the, the, the merchandise. You feel violated. I think especially Shelly, and I think women in general live in a more vulnerable world than men do. And so this hits a little closer to home. I've talked to some people who have had those kind of robberies, and that seems to be the pattern. And so especially as hit Shelley. Um, and so there's a sense of violation. There's a, also, it's very irritating. <laughs> it's really irritating because now you've got to think, hey, what, what was the information on that computer? And now you've got to go back and, and you know, change all your passwords and cancel your credit cards. And you know, so you waste a day or two of your life taking care of all that. It's very irritating. Um, and, you know, it could just kind of make you mad. It's, um, I, and, you know, I thank God that I had all my stuff backed up. You guys, if I, 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 I really, I had a friend who set up this thing where it gets, uh, stored on a, a cloud, you know what that is, off site. I didn't know what that is. I, I didn't know clouds could hold that kind of stuff, but I guess again. <laughs> but, um, I know, so I've had, I have five years, over five years of research and writing on two different books that I'm almost done with. It's massive research, and if I hadn't had those backed up, I would be today a rather grouchy human being. <laughs> Five years of your life flushed down the toilet. That would that'd be kind of depressing, but thankfully that wasn't the case. But So it is a, uh, an irritating thing. You feel violated. You've got to struggle with it. But here's the thing. 
moments like that, challenging moments when life happens, they provide a great opportunity for us to put on display the uniqueness of the kingdom. I think here's where the rubber hits the road. Here's where you find out the difference that your faith makes. When, when something like this happens, when you're violated, when any kind of misfortune or tragedy occurs, um, it's normal for people in the world to uh, just, just get angry and stop there, uh, to have an animosity and a hatred, hostility, want vengeance on the people who stole from you. That's a normal world response. But we who are followers of Jesus are called and empowered to put on display a very different response, right? We are called to love the folks who have stole from us, who have violated us, to pray for the folks who have stole from us and violated us, uh, to, to bless the folks who have, who have violated us. A, a totally different response. And so Shelly and I had to do that. We, we, we played blessing in them. No, we still want our stuff back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and it's still irritating, and we still feel violated, but what has to trump all of that in importance is that we are obedient in loving the folks who broke into our house and to be praying for them and, and to be blessing them. Um, here's where the rubber hits the road. And so what I want to talk about this morning, and this is going to be kind of a, one of those weird messages where I'm not actually going to get to the passage that we're preaching on. It's, it's the same passage we've been preaching on for the last month. But I'm not going to get to that or to the title of this message until about halfway into it, Okay. So just, you know, just know that. Um, it's kind of a turned-around, screwed-up message. But the question I want to be asking is, um, what is it that enables us to respond in that way? Now, we could say, of course, the Holy Spirit in us and, and the new nature and all of that, and that's true. But I, I want to suggest to you that what, what really helps, in fact, it's absolutely necessary, to respond in a kingdom way where you manifest love rather than hatred and you can stay anchored in joy and peace regardless of the mayhem that's going on around you, what allows that to happen, it's all about how you frame the experience, how you interpret it, how you look at it. So we don't just look at life. We don't just look at the world as though it's an objective thing. We look at the world from a particular angle, from a particular, in a narrative, uh, with a particular story. Uh, we, we frame it in a particular way. And how we frame it will determine how we respond to it. All right, you following this? And the, the size of our frame will determine the size of the problem. The bigger your frame of reference in which you interpret an event, uh, the smaller the problem will appear, but the smaller the frame of reference, the bigger the problem will appear. This is something where um, I, I, I think it's because I was obsessed with death as a, as a kid. I've shared that before. Ever since I can remember, I was obsessed with death. And I think that put me in a position where God was able to give me a discipline that has allowed me to do this. I, I, I think this is... There's a lot of non-kingdom aspects to my life. But this is one where I think, I, I, this is the part of my life that I think I most have the kingdom down. It's about how to frame things. And so I, I'm able to respond to uh, thefts and other tragedies in a way that models love rather than hatred and can stay anchored in, in, in joy and peace. And that's what I want to share here this morning. Uh, th- this is huge. This is, this is a key that will... Uh, if we internalize it and practice it, it can set us free. How we respond depends on the frame in which we view the problem. It's not about the size of the problem itself. It's about the size of our frame in which we see the problem and interpret the problem. It doesn't matter how big or how small the problem is. That's why you find people who will freak out over problems that seem relatively small. They have a meltdown. And then you have other people where... the apocalypse can be occurring and and they can stay centered in love and joy and peace because it's not about the size of the problem it's about the size of the frame with which you interpret the problem and it doesn't matter whether we're talking about human thieves or thieves in the demonic realm Uh, jesus said that the thief comes to kill steal and destroy right and he's talking there about satan and the reality is that this world is oppressed by forces of destruction that are bent on kill, stealing, and destroying. And so while human thieves can steal our property, uh, there's other kind of thieves who steal other kinds of things. This nature, the nature of this world, this creation that we're now in, has been tainted, corrupted by these fallen forces of evil. And some folks have things stolen from them for that reason. Um, There are folks who will hear this message who are going through ordeals that make my little ordeal with this robbery looked like a picnic. 
Because what they've had stolen is maybe their health or their independence because of some debilitating disease. That's also a form of thievery. Uh, Other folks have uh, had their own life being stolen from them because they have been afflicted with terminal cancer. Some folks hearing this message this weekend undoubtedly will have had seen the life of their children stolen out of living in this war zone. Some have lost loved ones with car accidents or other kinds of diseases. It's brutal. It's absolutely brutal in this war zone sometimes. People go through nightmares. But whether... Whether you'll grow from that experience or be destroyed by that experience, whether you'll be able to find access to the peace and even the joy of Christ in the midst of the mayhem, it all depends on how you frame the problem. Other folks are going to find other things stolen from them in this war zone. Some folks have had their dignity stolen, maybe from sexist or from racist. Uh, Some folks have had their self-esteem stolen when they were children because of abuse. Others have had their marriages stolen because they've been abandoned or some other thing tore them apart. Some folks have had their sense of well-being stolen because of an attack or rape or something of the sort. In this war zone world, things get stolen. And what determines whether we'll be healed from that experience or whether we'll go through life crippled? Well, it determines whether we'll be able to respond with a sense of love or whether we'll fall into hostility. What determines whether we'll be able to stay anchored in peace or whether we'll be filled with anxiety. What determines whether we'll be able to access that joy unspeakable even in the midst of mayhem or whether we'll be thrown into despair. What determines that is how we frame the issue, how we interpret it, how we look at it. What's your reference point? Uh, The issue is never the size of the problem. In fact, I want us to say that here, okay? Repeat after me. The issue issue is never the size size of the problem. The issue issue is rather rather the size size of the frame frame in which you see see the problem. problem. That's the point this morning. So it's a little bit like this. Check out this. Here's a guy holding the sun. Now, you wouldn't think someone would be able to hold the sun, would you? Keep that picture up there for a while. I, 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 I love this. You see, that sun is absolutely huge. That sun is uh, two, uh, 2, over 2,700,000 miles in circumference. Uh, so you can fit in that helium ball there, you can fit 1.3 million Earths. And this guy's holding it like a basketball. How is that? See, it's not about the size of the object. It's about the frame of reference. You see, and so we are 93 million miles removed from that sun. And because we're 93 million miles removed, it opens up a vast background against which we see the sun. We see the sun against the, the vast expanse of the sky that that 93 million miles has afforded us. And for that reason, that sun looks like something that we could hold as a, in our hands, like a basketball. You see, it's not about the size of the object. It's about your frame of reference, your perspective. Anything that you hold up really close to you is going to seem huge, and everything that is a distance from you is going to appear rather small. My thumbnail right now, man, i got a massive thumbnail. It's incredible. It's huge. But see, if I back off a little bit and now view my thumbnail against the backdrop of this auditorium and all you fine folks, well, now my thumbnail seems rather small. It's the exact same way with the problems in life. If you're staring at the problem up close, if, it's, if your whole frame of reference is consumed by uh, the issue, the difficulty that you're facing, well, it's going to be overwhelming. And you're going to have a hard time responding in love and staying anchored in joy and peace. But there's a perspective that we can have that's given us in Christ where we can back off and see uh, the, the problem in a much, much, much bigger frame of reference which shrinks the problem down to a manageable size and allows us to respond in love and with joy and with, with peace. Here's a few more examples. Are these guys the same size? Well, you know the trick, so you'll say yes. But they don't look like the same size, do they? The guy on the top looks much bigger or twice as big as the, the, the person up front. But actually, they're the same size. The reason why the guy on the top looks bigger is because the background is smaller. The smaller the background, the bigger the object. You frame, your eyes in, instinctively frame... Uh, the person in the smaller background is being bigger, and the person with the bigger background is being smaller. Here's another one. Here's the big bad ghost chasing a small ghost, or whatever those things are. Turtle men, maybe? I don't know. But uh, yeah, it looks like the, the, the bigger ghost is chasing the smaller, but in fact, these ghosts are the same size. 
They are. If you took out away the background, you'd see that. But the, the, the person, the ghost in the back, looks bigger because the frame of reference is smaller. The smaller the frame of reference, the bigger the object. And the ghost up front, it looks smaller because you have a much bigger frame of reference. See, this is how it is in all life. We don't just look at the world. We look at the world from a particular angle with a particular uh, background, a framework. And that's what determines how big the problems of life uh, seem to us. So important to lock this in. Applies to all areas of life. So Shelly and I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, were babysitting our grandkids. Uh, I, I am, believe it or not, not going to show you pictures of my grandkids because I indulge myself far too often. But uh, they are beautiful. So I, we're with our grandkids, and in the course of babysitting them, our 10-month-old little Rollins comes and, and takes away the stuffed bunny from our 18-month-old Eden. And our 18-month-old Eden proceeds to have a, a nuclear meltdown. I, she just, just, she's a drama queen anyways. I mean, she is really a drama queen. If, if she's not getting her way, this little gal can throw a tantrum of apocalyptic proportions. It's fantastic. And plus she's got a, a scream, this shrill that in another year is going to be able to break glass. I'm telling you guys, she hits this pitch and it's piercing. It's like, oh my goodness, it's amazing. So she's having a nuclear meltdown, this complete apocalypse, end of the world tantrum because Rollins stole her stuffed bunny. Now, now why is that? Well, it's because Eden, being 18-month-old little girl, she doesn't have a very big life yet. She, her frame of reference is rather small. She doesn't know about the real problems in life. She doesn't know about Syria and what's going on in the chaos over there, or Egypt, you know, the social chaos that's going over there, or this toddler who's playing with nuclear weapons in North Korea. Uh, she doesn't know about those sorts of things, global warming, the terrorists and all that. Uh, she's unaware that her world, as is true of all 18 months old, her world is basically in that moment. What she can see and what she's experiencing in that moment. That's her entire frame of reference. And so the bunny occupies the entire frame of reference. So for Rollins to steal the bunny is for, her to, for him to steal the entire world. Her whole reality just got violated. You see, and so she's having a complete meltdown. It's not about the size of the problem. It's about the size of the frame of reference uh, that you have when you uh, look at and interpret the problem. So when a thief breaks into the home and steals your property or, or, or a different kind of thief breaks in and is stealing your health or stealing your independence or stealing your well-being or stealing your life or stealing the life of a, lost, of, of a loved one, the question, the all-important question is how big is your frame of reference? How big is your frame of reference? And so I want to now show you that Paul gives us, in this passage that we've been studying for a month, he gives us a frame of reference by which even problems that look like the size of the sun, sun sun-sized problems, become manageable, become smaller, and allow us to respond in a way where we manifest the the love of the kingdom and the peace and the joy of the kingdom, even though the problem is a sun-sized problem. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Colossians. That's in the New Testament. And it's... All right, so here we are. Colossians chapter 3. We're reading verses 9 through 12. And Dan, I, I, I think I'll stop at verse 11, in, in case you're listening here. Um, it's just not relevant for today's message. So Paul says this. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, and the here refers to this new self, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but here in this new self, Christ is all and is in all. So we're titling this message, Reframing the Sun. Because it's not about the size of the sun, it's about the size of the frame in which you see the sun. Christ is all and is in all. I've been just gripped by this phrase all week long. Um, On Monday, the the day that we got robbed, in in that morning, maybe God was preparing me for this. Which you could have done if it was a for, if it was if their character was solidified and it was certain they were going to break in. But let's not get into that. Um, <laughs> three o'clock in the morning, I woke up, and from three to five thirty in the morning, I had the most intense encounter with God that I've had in in, in a couple of years. Uh, I just woke up and I was in His presence, and yet 
the, the presence was intense, and yet I, I was longing for it. It was like the more of God I had, the more I wanted. It was weird. I had this profound, even painful yearning for more, even though what I was experiencing was much more than I normally have. It's, it's a paradox. For, for two and a half hours, it didn't seem like two and a half hours, but I, I just laid in my bed in that, in that state, communing with God. And uh, this phrase kept on coming back to me, like, like waves. Uh, Christ is all and is in all. It's kept on washing over me. I felt like I was being cleansed by it or something. I don't know. It was, it was just, it was beautiful. And, and that's when I knew that this is what I was supposed to preach on this week. Uh, Christ is all and is in all. What does that mean, Christ is all and is in all? Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Paul is saying that everything is Christ. Paul is not, you can tell if you just read his other writings, he's not a pantheist, which means you believe God is everything. So Paul is not saying that this stand is Christ and this Bible is Christ and uh, my socks are Christ and you are Christ and I am Christ and this auditorium is Christ. And that'd be, that's a good thing because it would be really weird if it was. I mean, how would you even talk about stuff? Like, uh, you know, t- now, now please pick up your Christ and turn to uh, Christ's book, this, or, excuse me, I've got to tie my Christ. Or, boy, I've got to ish my Christ. It just wouldn't work. So thankfully, that's not what Paul means. What Paul does mean is this. He's talking about, look at the context, always look at the context. He's talking about the new self. This new self, which we have when we surrender to Christ. We're given a new nature. And, and this new self, he says, uh, when we look at folks, we don't see... Or we see, but we don't invest any significance in the fact that they're a Jew or a Gentile, or Scythian or barbarian, or educated or not educated, slave or free, rich or poor. We don't invest any significance in that. But rather, all we see that is significance is that Christ is all and is in all. Paul, in talking about this new self, he's talking about a new way of seeing. Right? And so, especially in the body of Christ... All the things that the world invests such significance in are, are to be irrelevant to us. And if we're looking with the eyes of the new self, they will be irrelevant. When I look at you and you look at me, what we ought to see is that, is that uh, you're a person who's been created by the, the love of God and is sustained by the love of God. Jesus ha- holds you in existence. Jesus has given his life for you. Jesus has cleansed you and forgiven you. Jesus has destined you uh, to reign with him forever and ever. Jesus is in you and you are in Jesus and he's doing a beautiful work in you. And if I believe that about you and if I can see that in you, what possible difference could it make whether you're American or Iraqi or North Korean or male or female or rich or poor or, or whatever? No, those things become utterly irrelevant when you see people, when you frame people in, in the context where Christ is all and is in all. He's talking about a new way of seeing. It's beautiful. All the things that the world invests significance in are to be irrelevant to us. Uh, when we look at folks through the lens of Christ, when we frame our encounter with folks through the lens of Christ, all that matters is what, where, who they are to Jesus and what Jesus has done and is doing in them. Only Christ matters. Now, this phrase, Christ is all and is in all, has a deeper application than just how we view each other. Um, most commentaries agree that this phrase, Christ is all and is in all, is echoing back to the creation hymn that Paul gave us in Colossians chapter 1. Because <clears throat> he uses that same kind of language, but he uses it with regard to all of creation. This idea of Christ is all and is in all, it, it, it echoes back. Paul is applying in, in chapter 3 something that he laid the groundwork for over in Colossians 1. So look at Col- if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians 1. And um, that is two chapters before the chapter we just read, in case you were wondering. All right? And here's what Paul says. Listen to this. <laughs> he says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him... In the Son, in Christ, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Christ and for Christ. Christ is before all things. And in Christ, all things hold together. And then verse 19, For God was pleased to have all the fullness of God dwell in Him. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, bringing harmony, through his blood shed on the cross. Paul sums it all up in that last phrase, through his blood shed on the cross. And whenever Paul thinks of Christ, he's thinking about the crucified Christ. 
I know nothing, he says, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so what Paul is saying here, and, and really get this, he's saying that the one who perfectly embodied the fullness of God's love, his perfect self-sacrificial love that was demonstrated on the cross, the one who embodied that love is the one who existed in eternity before all things. And he, he is the one who created all things. The one who embodied the perfect self-sacrificial love of God revealed on the cross is the one who now, this moment, sustains all things and holds all things together. And the one who perfectly embodied the fullness of that love revealed on Calvary is the one in whom all things exist and the one who exists in all things. And that one who embodied fully the perfect love of God revealed on the cross is the reason for everything, Paul says. All things were created through him and by him and for him. He is the purpose of everything. And so what Paul is saying is that the perfect, eternal, self-sacrificial love of God that's revealed on the cross is the source of everything and is the ground of everything and is the power by which everything is held together. And is the reason for everything, that perfect self-sacrificial love that God is throughout eternity and is revealed on the cross, is, is the, the one who, who destines everything and resolves everything, is bringing harmony to everything, even right here and right now. We are this moment sustained by the perfect love of God. The reason why we are here right now, the reason why anything is, is the perfect self-sacrificial love of God. That love is what holds us into being. That love is, is what everything happens inside of that love, and that love is inside of everything. And so what Paul is giving us here, folks, and this is what I was getting this last Monday morning on that intense encounter, is he's giving us the ultimate frame of reference, the ultimate frame in which we're to see all of creation and everything in creation. It all takes place in Christ. Christ is all and is in all. Paul is simply now applying it not to the way we view people, but to the way we view everything. The only thing that matters is Christ. He is all. He is all is in him and he is in all and all and he's the reason for everything. So just as the new self, the eyes of the new self can look at other people and see that Christ is all that matters. So also the new self can look at creation and everything in creation, every event in creation and see that Christ is all that matters. We've got a new way of seeing, a new way of framing everything. And just like unredeemed people, when they look at other people, unredeemed folks who don't have the eyes of the new self, what they see is people. It stops there. And so they see Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, for us or against us. They see all the things that people normally see when they look at people. They don't have any bigger frame of reference. But when we, with our new self eyes, look at other people, especially those in the body of Christ, what we see is those things are just All those distinctions are just unique ways in which we reflect the love of God. But the only thing that matters is the love of God that sustains you and creates you and holds you in existence and redeems you and saves you and destines you for the kingdom of God. And so also, when unredeemed folks look at creation, what they see is the physical creation. That's all. It's just the normal physical creation. They don't have any bigger frame of reference. But we, when we look at creation and all things in creation with this, the eyes of the new self, what we should see is that Christ is all that matters. you look at this creation, and what you see is this is what has flowed from the love of God. The, 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 everything you see exists for the love of God. It exists by the love of God. It's held together by the love of God. It's sustained by the love of God. It's structured by the love of God. Its purpose is the love of God. And every distinct thing in creation is just a unique way of manifesting the love of God. You see? The love of God that is redeeming it and bringing harmony to it. Um, it's, it's, all, it's all framed completely different when we frame it in the context of God's love. And so what Paul is giving us is that this is the frame in which we're to interpret everything that happens in our life and in the world, to see it in this context. And so when the thief breaks in and steals your property or uh, the thief breaks in and steals your health or steals your retirement account or steals your uh, capacity to be independent or steals your dignity or steals your sense of well-being, Paul is telling us to frame it in the context where Christ is all and is in all. And when we do it that way, folks, remember the bigger the, bigger the frame, the smaller the problem. The smaller the frame, the bigger the problem. And Paul is here giving us the biggest frame there is. This frames everything. Okay, so let's chunk this down and let's apply it to our life. Right now, I'd like you to think about, think about something that's been stolen from you or that is in the process of being stolen from you whether it's a human thief 
or thief in the demonic realm as a result of corrupting nature. All of us have things that are being stolen from us. Life in this fallen war zone could be described as a process of learning how to let go of things that are being stolen from you. We're slowly losing it all. (laughs) At the very least, you're having your good looks stolen from you as you're aging. You're having your beauty stolen from you. Uh, Your health stolen from you. To think about that, just Holy Spirit, give us the thing we're supposed to think about right now. Maybe a, a, a property thing like what happened to us. It may be something very different. Remember, how you respond to that thievery will depend on how you frame it. What is the frame of reference by which you see this? Are you able to hold on to access that part of your inheritance in the kingdom where you have peace and you have joy in the midst of even sun-sized problems? Think about this. See, if you frame... If your frame of reference is that, that, that what you possess here and now is all you possess, whether it's your property or your health or your abilities, your capacity or, or your reputation or whatever, if you think that that's all you possess, then if any part of it is stolen, you're going to have a sun-sized problem because your frame of reference isn't any bigger than this. And so you're going to have a hard time responding in love and with the peace and the joy of the kingdom. And if your, your, your sense of worth is wrapped up, if you frame the world in a way where your worth is tied up in those possessions, your worth is tied up in, in what people think about you or in what you own or in uh, the car you drive or in the fame that you've acquired or the things that you've accomplished, well, then if any part of that gets stolen, and it will get stolen, because ultimately we lose it all, right? But when it's stolen, then, then you have a sun-sized problem. You will be like Eden having your bunny stolen because you don't have a bigger frame of reference. And so you're going to have a hard time responding with love and joy and peace. And if you frame the world, and remember, this isn't just talking about how, what you believe, because you can believe something, but, but the, this is about how you actually frame things. It's not about what you believe, but how do you, in fact, frame the challenges of life? If, if you frame the world in a way where your security is, is, is all about having a, the bolted door, and as seems to be increasingly the case here in America, having a gun under the bed, and, and having a big bank account, if your security is wrapped up, and your confidence that you'll always be able to do what you do, well, then when any part of that gets stolen, and it will get stolen because we end up losing it all, well, then you will, like Eden, have a nuclear meltdown. You'll, you'll have a sun-sized problem, and you won't be able to respond in love, joy, and peace. And if you frame this life as though this life is all there is, even though you maybe believe in your head that you'll live forever, but if you actually frame life as though this was all there is. Well, then if any, when your life is threatened and when you start to lose your life, and you will, if the Lord doesn't return in your lifetime, then, then it's a sun-sized problem because it's taking up the whole field of, of your vision. You're, you're looking at it like this. If this is your everything, then when it's gone, you've lost it all. You're in the apocalypse. Now, here's the thing. You know, what, you, what we need is to reframe the sun, reframe our life. Not just when we're going through catastrophic things, but in, in the course of life, we should be seeing everything in this way, interpreting everything in this way. Uh, we need a bigger frame of reference. And I'm not at all suggesting that when something is stolen from you, whether it's property or your health or dignity or anything else, I'm not suggesting that it's wrong or unspiritual to feel violated. No, you were violated. I'm not saying it's wrong to be irritated. It is irritating. And I'm not saying it's even wrong to, to have grief and sadness, especially when what's lost is a loved one. No, that's appropriate. That's totally appropriate. But folks, nothing in life, nothing, no event, no tragedy, no thievery, nothing should be able to steal our capacity to love our enemies, even life-threatening enemies. Nothing should ever steal our capacity to access joy and peace in the midst of sun-sized problems. And they won't do that if we're framing it correctly. To frame it correctly is to put on the eyes of the new self. And so when you put on this new self, that's, that's being renewed in the image of, of the creator. You see, if you're looking rightly, you see that your possessions here and now aren't all your possessions. In fact, you see that all your possessions now aren't even your possessions. No, you've got them on loan from God. And it's just a matter of time before you'll give them back. So you know, if you're looking through the, with the eyes of the new self, that your possessions aren't all about what you own here and now, the health you have here and now, or the retirement account you have here and now. 
Step back and get a larger frame of reference, and what you see is that you have Christ. You have Christ, and Christ is all, and Christ is in all. So you have everything. You have everything, and, and, and you have the kingdom. You've inherited the kingdom. You are given a glorious inheritance. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. What more could you possibly own than what you own when you are a, a member of, of the kingdom of God? And see, while thieves can come in and steal the computers and can steal uh, the health and can steal your life, they can't steal this, praise God. This is locked, is anchored in the one who existed before creation and will exist uh, throughout all eternity. They can't touch this. And when we see that, when you frame life that way, well, then the sun-sized problem starts to become a little smaller, doesn't it? Losing your possessions in this world right here and now becomes rather insignificant when you see what you really own, what you really own in Christ. And you see that when you look at it with the eyes of uh, the, the, the new self. It's not about the size of the problem. It's about the size of the frame in which you see the problem. And we're to see it as Christ is all and is in all. So also, with the eyes of the new self, you see that your worth isn't anchored in uh, what you achieve or what you own or your reputation or what people think or, or, or anything of the sort. You, you see, through the eyes of the new self, that your worth is anchored in the fact that you're created by the love that was revealed on Calvary. You're sustained by the love that was revealed on Calvary. You're held together by the love that was revealed on Calvary. You exist in and for the love that was revealed on Calvary. And your worth was revealed on Calvary, where God gave his life for you, thereby revealing that you've got a worth that could not be improved upon. It cannot be given to you. It cannot be taken from you. It cannot be shaken by anything or anyone or any event at any time in all of history because it's anchored in Christ. You've got a worth that could not be improved upon. And when you see that, when you frame life that way, well, then losing some of the things that the world associates with our worth no longer seems like a sun-sized problem. Uh, Boo-hoo. You know, even if it's you that, that you stole your own reputation because of some foolish decision that you made, well, if you frame it, you see, if that's all that you had, well, then that's an apocalypse, but it's not all you have. No, you've got Christ, and Christ is all, and Christ is in all, and now that shrinks the problem significantly, doesn't it? It's not about the size of the problem, but it's about the size of the frame in which you see the problem. And when you frame things as Christ is all and is in all, the problems become remarkably small, and now you're able to respond in love, and staying anchored in God's joy and God's peace. It's the same thing about security. You see, if you're looking at it with the eyes of the new self, you see that your security, your security, I mean, you can find security in a, in a bolted door and if you want, in a gun under your bed. And, you know, you take normal precautions. But look at, you know, if you're looking at it with the eyes of the new self, that that's not your real security. All those things are going to fade away. What kind of security is that? You're guaranteed to lose it all. What kind of security is that? If you're looking at it with the eyes of the new self, then you see that, that your security is found in the fact that you, you share in the life and the love of God who, who existed in eternity before creation, uh, who now holds everything in existence in creation. Your security is found in the fact that you are held by the God who holds all things together. And your security is found in the fact that you know that, that you are loved with the love that was revealed on Calvary and that nothing can separate you from that love. That's your security, and it's the only security there is, and it's more than enough security. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. As Paul says so beautifully in Romans 8, that neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither famine, nor pearl, nor sword, uh, neither cancer, uh, nor friends betraying you, nor car wrecks, or train wrecks, or, or meteors striking the earth, or your, even f- your own flub-ups, your own screw-ups, uh, you know, the dumb things that you do, or the dumb things that people do to you. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. That's your security. And when you have all your eggs in that basket, where Christ is all and is in all, well then when the security of the world fails you and the, the, the door doesn't succeed in keeping the, the robber out and the doctors can't keep the cancer out, when the security of the world fails you, well, that sun-sized problem becomes something you can handle like a basketball because you're framing it differently. You see, and now you're able to respond in a way that keeps... You anchored in God's love and his joy and his peace. It's not about the problem. It's about the size of the frame that you use to assess the problem. And finally, 
you know, if you're looking at this with the eyes of the new self, that your life, this life here, isn't your only life. No, you know, if you're looking at it with the eyes of Christ, that this life, this life is, is, a, is an infinitesimally small fraction of a nanosecond of eternity. And you know that your life, your real life, is the life that you share in God's abundant life. You're made a participant in God's abundant life. That, that never began and that will never end. You know that your real life is a life that's destined for the kingdom. Praise God. When all things will be reconciled and all things will be made whole, all things will be healed, all things will be redeemed, all things will be harmonized. Your real life is the life that you know you're destined for a kingdom where there will be no more thieves. Praise God. So life will never be stolen again and joy will never be stolen again and peace will never be stolen again. And loved ones will never be stolen again. Praise God. And all that's beautiful will never be stolen again. No, it's, it's secure in, in, the, in the love of God. Your real life is the life that you're destined to dance in the heart of the triune God where Christ is all and is in all. And when that is your frame of reference, then losing this life, even losing this life, that, that sun-sized problem becomes something you can manage. You see, it's, you can hold it. It's the, same, it's the same problem, losing your life. And it's not pleasant for sure, but, but when, you under, when you see it rightly... Zoom out and see it as the nanosecond of a prelude to the real thing. Well, now even that becomes something like Eden's bunny. Uh, And um, now you're able to even... This is the only way you can possibly love a life-threatening enemy. Is when you understand that the only thing they can take is a nanosecond, which is a prelude to the real thing. When you see it that way, well then, and only then, are you able to love and bless when your instinct would want to curse and hate. And see, it's never about the size of the problem. It's about the size of the frame that you see the problem in. Uh, and we're called to frame everything in the context of Christ is all and is in all. Uh, I'll just end with this. There's a number of exercises, and I'll, I'll share some of them on the addendum to this sermon that I'll do in my office when I go home this afternoon because uh, I won't have a chance to get to it here. But, but uh, one of them is, is see, it's so important that we renew this. Paul says that the new self is being renewed. We can't just turn this on or off. This is something we've got to cultivate in our life, this way of seeing. We've got to cultivate it and practice it in prayer and, and reframing things. And so I encourage folks, for example, to take uh, the issue, the challenge that they're facing and zoom into the future 50,000 years and sit down with Christ in the kingdom after having enjoyed 50,000 years of bliss and now look at this problem from the perspective that you'll have 50,000 years from now, you see? And you and Jesus look at it and you marvel at how small it is, even though at the time maybe you thought it was really large. It's about reframing things. And then take the peace of the kingdom in the future there and bring it into the present. Because, see, that's part of your inheritance, and God wants you to cash in on it now. You can now have the peace that you'll have 50,000 years from now. If you can reframe things... Reframe the sun in the way, in the context where Christ is all and is in all. And when you do that, even a helium ball that's 2,713,000 miles in circumference, even that becomes something that is rather small. Folks, this is the key to joy. This is the key to peace. This is freedom. If you can frame things this way, you are a free human being. When others melt down, you are centered in Christ, centered in his love, his peace, and his joy. I'm not saying that this is like a a little panacea that makes everything wonderful. No, there's still going to be grief, sadness, irritation, feeling violated. Absolutely. I'm not going to... That's legit. But that doesn't define us. We're looking at it with the eyes of the new self. Christ defines us. Christ is all, and Christ is in all. End of discussion. Hallelujah. All right. All right. Amen. It's... Prayer teams, come on up. I'm going to close in prayer. And as I do, I invite you to come forward and pray with these folks. If there's anything that you are wrestling with, don't go through that alone. And you might want to check out the addendum that I'll put on this message where I'll discuss several practices that can help us do this on a regular basis. Abba, Father, thank you for the inheritance, God, and this frame of reference. Help us, God. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us, Jesus Christ, to practice this to pay attention to how we are framing everything in our life. And God, open our eyes to put on the new self so that we can see that Christ is all and is in all. And that is all that matters. The bigger Christ is, the smaller everything else is. It's just a footnote. So, Abba, Father, 
Install in us that way of seeing to set us free, to live as your people, even in the midst of the most trying circumstances of life. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's people say it. God bless you guys. Go out and love on the world. Hello, good people. And welcome to Pastor Boyd's Coffee Time. Let's chat. Uh, no, this is our, the, our cutouts or addendum or whatever we're calling these things. I'm, I don't even know. Okay, things I didn't get a chance to say in the message. First thing is this. Um, uh, a good illustration of this thing we're talking about is kind of the, the way our perspective uh, determines the size of things. Uh, a good example of this is this, the uh, phenomenon of, of aging where time seems to speed up. If you're over 40, you probably are beginning to experience this. It's just bizarre. It, it literally begins to, it, it speeds up. And at 55, which is where I'm at, this train is going incredibly fast. I am just blown away. Every year, I have no sense of time anymore. Uh, the other day, someone, I met somebody who used to be on staff at Woodland Hills, and uh, I, I said, oh, yeah, uh, you were here, well, she went, 10 years. I, I, I freaked. It was like, it wasn't 10, maybe three, it was three years, not 10. She was 10 years ago. Uh, it's just crazy. But see, it makes sense. It's not about the, the size of the object, it's about the size of your frame of reference. And see, as you get older, your frame of reference gets bigger, so every chunk within that frame gets smaller. Every year is a smaller percentage of my total life, right? And uh, uh, so I, I experienced this year as 155th of my whole lifetime. I measure it against that whole background of, of my life. Uh, for you, it might be 165th, or it could be 120th. Uh, but you'll experience much slower if it's 120th than if it's 155th, you see? This is something what I think the Bible means when it says that a day uh, is like a thousand years of the Lord and a thousand years like a day. Um, one way of thinking about that passage is that uh, it uh, you know, God has existed forever, right? He's always been, always will be. And um, uh, so every, every segment of time gets measured against eternity, right? So uh, that would mean that God would experience any duration of time as infinitesimally small. Just infinitesimally small. All of world history, uh, 13.7 billion years they're guessing the universe is. That is a blink of an eye to God. Just a blink of an eye because it's measured against an, uh, an eternity. So think about that. Now, I, I wanted to share uh, two exercises that I find very helpful on uh, acquiring this perspective. Remember, uh, Scripture says, Paul says in Colossians 3, that we have to be renewed. This new self has to be renewed uh, in the knowledge of God. And so, it's, it's not, that you know something has to be done over and over and over again. This isn't something you just turn on and turn off. It's, it's a mindset you have to cultivate, a way of looking at the world, uh, a perspective you need to ingrain. And, and it, this is important to be disciplined about this because, you see, we're bombarded with other kinds of, uh, the other kind of perspective all the time. That frame of reference that says this world is all there is, we, we inherit that in our environment all the time. Um, and so to counteract that, to counteract what we get from the television and uh, the media, all, everything, uh, we, we have to be disciplined on cultivating a, a Jesus perspective uh, on, on everything. Christ is all and is in all. Be renewed in, in your mind. And so... I encourage people in prayer. Um, the, the imagination is is so crucial. Um, it's imaginative prayer. I think the, I think one of the main reasons why folks tend to frame everything in a this world kind of perspective, even though they believe in eternal life, they frame it in a this world perspective. And I think one of the major reasons is because uh, the other world doesn't the next world. Uh, the Christ in all in all world, the kingdom, doesn't feel real to us. The things of God don't feel real to us. Uh, this world does feel real to us, but th that one doesn't. And whatever feels most real to us is what grabs our attention. So even though we believe that we're going to live forever uh, with Christ, we don't, we don't, it doesn't feel real to us. So it's so important that in prayer we use our imagination. Imagination is what, um, it, 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 we experience the things of, we, spiritual things as real. Uh, the things of God is real. I, have, I write about this in my book, Seeing is Believing. Uh, it's why imagination is so important. It's where the things of God begin to take on a sense of uh, reality uh, for us. So, so try this. Coffee time. Um, I, I mentioned it at, at, at the end of the service, at least in one of the services. I don't know if it's one that got uh, podcast or not, but uh, I, I, I call it sometimes the Zoom Forward Prayer, where in, in, in prayer, uh, just imaginatively go forward in your life 50,000 years, or 100,000 years, or 10,000 years, whatever. You get the point. 
Uh, go fast forward it, and and you are now in the kingdom of God, and you've been in the kingdom of God for thousands and thousands and thousands of blissful, joyful, ecstatic, unbroken love years, right? And you're with Jesus on the couch, and you're you're uh, uh, watching uh, home movies, and the home movies you're watching are whatever episode you're going through right now that is trying, whatever or that you have gone through in the past, uh, whatever trauma, whatever has been stolen from you, okay? Uh, you, you, you think about, uh, imaginatively see that episode being played out on the screen that you and Jesus are, are watching. And as you watch that, just notice how small it is. Against 10,000 or 50,000 years of bliss that you've been enjoying uh, with Jesus in the heart of the triune God. Now you look back and you watch this trauma uh, unfold on this on the screen, this whole movie that you're watching. And, and it, it seems infinitesimally small. I, I like to, as I envision this, I, I picture me and Jesus chuckling over the thing. We laugh at how, how small it is and how we thought it was so big. I thought it was so big at the time. Uh, we just laugh. Okay, and then, then you take, and then notice the peace that you have as you're sitting on the couch with the remote control watching this whole movie with Jesus. There's just a sense of peace and you notice how small it is. And now take that perspective, lock it in, and then pull it into your present because see, this is part of your inheritance, and you, you, God wants you to be cashing in on the inheritance now. Not, not just wait for it to happen later. You can have the peace of eternity now. Uh, that's the peace that passes understanding, the joy unspeakable. So grab, grab it and pull it into the present, and start experiencing it now, as you go through this this uh, uh, trial that you're going through. You'll find that you can deal with trials and tragedies, things being stolen from you, much better when you can do it out of a center of peace rather than one that gets fragmented. We are empowered to handle everything with a, with a sense of love towards our enemies, uh, with a sense of joy and peace being locked in. And here's a second exercise that I uh, encourage you to, to try out. Um, I call it the rehearsal for death uh, prayer. <clears throat> I do this one frequently. Um, I, 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 as I go into a state of prayer, I, I uh, close my eyes and I just... Pretend like I just died. Okay, just close your eyes. Pretend like you just died. I sometimes tell a little story that led to my death. Was it maybe it was a car wreck or some earthquake or I was heroic and just saved someone's life, you know, or I just died of leukemia, whatever. I picture myself having died. Everything's blacked out, and and then I come into the presence of Jesus, and um, I imagine everything being stripped away from me, because uh, when you die, everything will be stripped away from you. And, and, and I and Jesus together, and had, ask the Holy Spirit to give you a way of representing this, um, of just letting go of every aspect of your life. Uh, your, I, I envision it in different ways. Sometimes uh, I, I represent different aspects of my life, whether it's reputation or uh, ambition or, or family or finances or health. I, I have to put them on, on a boat and send them away. Or sometimes I just put them in, 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 a, in a shelf and, and, and close it. It's different ways of representing it. But it's a matter of letting go. And, and Jesus is with you. And he's there to tell you he is enough for our fullness. He is enough for our joy. He is our life. And, and he should be enough. And so we let go of all these things. And I find that as I do that, as I just let go, um, I, I sometimes will notice some pain involved in that. And... What that tells me, I mean, there's a normal kind of pain, there's a normal kind of sadness that you have uh, when you have to say goodbye to things. But sometimes you might notice that that goes to your identity. Uh, a part of you, the core you, is feels like it's being lost as you let go of that. And that's an indication that you're clinging to it uh, too tightly. And then this is a time where then I turn to Jesus and Jesus says to me, uh, communicates in one way or another, I am enough. You know, will you let me be enough, Greg? Will you let my love be enough? for you. And because his love is to fill the core of my being. Um, he sometimes lets me know, you know, when I let go of things, there's a normal sadness that goes with that. Saying goodbye to the world, you know, there's a normal kind of sadness about that, even though you're, you're going into a state of joy and you know it's going to be all right. But, but he'll, he'll, he will give you wisdom about what is a normal, natural kind of sadness and, and what goes to your identity. Uh, you can kind of tell the difference, uh, though you'll have to ask the Lord to, to uh, help you sort that out. I don't have a rule book about that. Okay, and, and all this, all this is just a way of, of learning how to uh, live life free, living life without clutching onto things, living life from an eternal perspective. Uh, because it's not about the size of the problem, it's about the size of your frame of reference. 
And uh, um, we're called to see things. We have the mind of Christ, and we can see things from an eternal perspective, which gives us uh, a capacity to see all of our matters, all of our issues, all of our trials, however, however sun-sized they might appear at the time, they are, in fact, uh, small when we uh, view them with the eyes of the new self from the perspective of the eternal kingdom. All right, God bless you guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I will talk to you again next week. Bye-bye.